Welcome, friends. Welcome back. Hello, Lou. How are we doing today? I'm very Good. excited about all of this. Uh, so am I. I have to tell you, this has been close to my heart for a long time. Friends, you, like myself, I'm sure, love stories. Lou and I both like stories. And going back to when I was a child, as soon as somebody started with once upon a time, <laughs> I would sit there with my chin in my hand, eager to hear. What I'm going to be telling you over the next many episodes is various stories. And <clears throat> I think I know you will be fascinated. I'm not boasting. This is not to change the uh, one culture over another or one glorify anything. This is real. These are real stories that I think will blow your mind because this is real history, real geography, real things that happened that I'd like to tell you. Um, so there's many different areas of stories that I want to tell you, and you'll find them each individually fascinating. I can't go through the whole list right now. Mm -hmm. But what one thing I thought of starting with, Lou, tell me what you think if this is right, Okay, is to talk about geography and history in a way that most of us don't know until today. Right. Uh, uh, I thought I'd start with that. I mean, when I was in my early 20s, 22, I think, was when I first left India and traveled to Switzerland for the first time. Oh. I, I landed in this place and it was so beautiful. And right from the start, my last name they, at the directory at the airport, the customs officer opened it up and said, why do you have a German name? <laughs> and I said, I don't have a German name. They say, yeah, yeah, this is German. I said, no, it's Indian. And he opened up the telephone directory and showed me at least 15 pages of names. They had telephone directories at the time wow. um, of, of pages with my last name on it. That actually started me wondering about whether there was a connection between Switzerland, Germany, and India. And that quest took me to a lot of different books. And I'll go through those books with you, my friends, um, uh, soon. So it is basically to show you that the original Vedic people spread from India to every country in the rest of the world. And mm -hmm. you'll say, nah, nah, I don't want to listen to this. This is not correct. But I'm not saying this to glorify one culture over another or to just you know do it academic uh, exercise. This is to tell you the real geography and history. And this is uh, confirmed by lots and lots of books of people by authors from other parts of the world than India. So just bear with me if you hear this and then look up the research yourself, do it yourself, and then see if what I'm telling you is true. What do you think, Lou? I like as you and I talked about this when we had this concept. It's like here in the West, where we only go back so far with our history. We go, we go back to the birth of Christ. There anything uh, BC. We don't pay a lot of, as much attention to as we should, and our roots, our cultural roots, go back further. And this is an exploration of those roots. Yes, and friends, bear with me. Get yourself some paper and pencil. Write down things as I'm talking because I would really like you to write these down and then research them so that you know I'm not just making this up. <laughs> so I've made notes over the last 50 years as I read a book. I write down things, and now I've collected all these notes, and I'm trying to talk to you about them. So bear with me if I just jump around a little bit. 
So one thing that you should know is there's a video called Journey of Man. Mm-hmm. It's presented by National Geographic. You, you said, hmm, uh, Lou, have you seen it? I've, yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. It's 13 parts to this, and it's a genetic odyssey is what it's called. It's available on YouTube or el- elsewhere. And it talks about, by scientist Spencer Wells, how mankind evolved and started from Africa. So we know that mankind started in Africa. Mm-hmm. What we don't know is, and what I didn't know, is that one of the earliest places they went to and settled down because the weather and the climate and all the other factors were so good was in India. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they settled down in India between the range of the Himalayan mountains and the rivers. The southern part of India was very swampy and wet. But they settled down and they had nothing to worry about. There was plenty of food, plenty of water, great weather, and they lived extremely well. And there was great peace at that time. 70,000 years ago, so the population was pretty big early on before 70,000. And 70,000 years ago, there was a huge volcanic explosion in Indonesia. And it covered the entire world with at least three inches, four inches of soot and blocked out the sun and the clouds for years, for many, many years. Hmm. Are are you familiar with this, Lou? Is this Krakatoa? Yes, it's it's Toga. Oh, okay. And that was the beginning of the Ice Age 70,000 years ago. And that lasted from 70,000 years ago and ended about 13,000 years ago. During that time, the number of human beings left on this earth, there's different scientists talk about different things, was the lowest number I've seen is 40. 40 human beings left on this earth from that ice age. 40, 40. Wow. And the highest number I've seen is 2,000. But even 2,000 compared to what we have today, billions of people, 2,000 was a small number. Anyway, what various scientists have said is that throughout the history of the world there were huge big civilizations they came to an end only a few thousand people were left civilization started all over again and this is something that i've seen in national geographic as a documentary which is fascinating because you say to yourself well if they had planes back then or buildings what happened to them and national geographic showed me that or discovery whichever it was that these buildings, even if they were made of steel or concrete or whatever, after so many millions of years, it all turns to dust. That's why we can't find any remnants of it. So in Germany, in Switzerland, was um, this uh, person, a skeletal remains found of a half man, half lion, Hmm. which was carved by ivory. And it was known as the Narasimha, or in German called Lowen Mensch. Lowen means lion and Mensch means man, the lion man. And it is in the Stadel Hohle in Hohenstein in the Swabian Alps in Germany. Wow. And, and it was discovered in 1939. And it's curious because the Narsimha is a god in the Vedic uh, culture. So I keep mentioning Vedic and people may wonder, those yeah. who are not from India, what Vedic means or Aryan means. Vedic, the four an- most ancient writings 
uh, or scriptures in the entire world, the four most ancient, are called the Vedas, V-E-D-A-S, Vedas. And this will come up when we talk about Scandinavia, because when the Vedic people went to Scandinavia, they took with them in the holy books of the Scandinavians are the Eddas, uh, which is comes from the word Vedas. So the, um, the Narsimha was a idol, a god prayed to by the early Vedic Aryans. And this was found many years ago, and it was carbon dated, this uh, Lowen Mensch, and was found to be 35,000 to 40,000 years ago. Wow. So the question is, how long ago did these people exist? How did they travel from India to, to Switzerland or Germany? And those are the things that we uh, are going to explore. Like I said, once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go through very quickly some, so you don't think I'm making this up, some notes I made to myself from worldwide authors who have written this. So Max Muller, German author, wrote a book called History of Ancient Sanskrit Literature. And in that he writes, in the Rig Veda, that's one of the four Vedas, in the Rig Veda, we shall have before us more real antiqu antiquity than in all the inscriptions of Egypt or Nineveh. Hmm. The Veda is the oldest book in existence. He also writes in another book called India, What It Can Teach Us. Max Muller writes, historical records of the Hindus extend in some respects so far beyond all records and have been preserved for us in such perfect logical documents that we can learn from them lessons which, which, which we can learn nowhere else and it supplies missing links. Hmm. Um, anthropologist S. Chakraborty writes that evidence of human habitation in India dates back to 2 million years on the banks of the Subarnareka River. 2 million years? 2 wow. million. Graham Hancock, who is a British marine archaeologist and author, writes that there were tidal waves of 400 feet or more, which swallowed up a flourishing port city of, called Pump Puhar, Anytime between 17,000 and 7,000 years ago, the date of the last ice age, the Gulf of Camberg was also submerged, as was submerged Dwarka. Now, Pumpuhar underwater site could provide evidence that, he says, was the cradle of modern civilization. Hmm. Edward Thornton, in his book called The History of British Empire in India, said the Hindus are indisputably entitled to rank among the most ancient of existing nations, as well as among those most early and most rapidly civilized before the pyramids and before Greece and Italy. When these countries housed only the tenants of the wilderness, India was the seat of wealth and grandeur. I tell you this only so that you recognize that this is written by many different authors around the world with books that they have researched. And you only if you read these books, you'll find out the real truth. I'm not saying this to boast about one culture or to, to make it a purely academic thing, but for you to learn what these real stories are. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's more. Look up Professor Jean-Louis Burnauf of the French Indologist. His book is Discourse on Sanskrit and its Literature. Michael Cremo says, this is the last one I'll do. Um, all history would have to be rewritten. 
Once we show that Vedic culture existed all over the world, the ancient Sanskrit writings of India speak of cities existing on the Indian subcontinent in very primeval times. Although historians tend to dismiss such accounts as mythology, these new discoveries promise to confirm the old literary accounts. Hmm. So with that as background, and I have lots more of these, if you write to me, and you can write to me at um, ariseArjuna at gmail.com, A-R-I-S-E-A-R-J-U-N-A at gmail.com. And if you want a list of all of these <clears throat> books that I mentioned, plus more, I'll be happy to send them to you. So the Vedic Aryans, now Aryan is another term that you should know about, Aryan means the R, A-R, means a person, a clear or white. So it refers to a noble person, a clear person, clean, with uh, uh, good intentions um, and, and good to his fellow people, a person who has a path towards spirituality or God. And ya, Arya, na, Arya means God. Uh, this is where I think the Jewish people call it Ya, um, Y-A. So Aryan means a noble person who is on a clear path to God. So the Vedic Aryans spread all over Europe and North America. And this has nothing to do with skin color, right? This is white in a spiritual standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint. Excellent point, because yeah. I think when Hitler took up yeah. this term Aryans, he termed that uh, Aryans were white and had to do with skin color, blue-eyed and blonde, and right. it didn't. And this is, a con this is now, if you look at all the modern literature with all the research, it is conclusively proved, and BBC actually put it down in their website to say, we apologize for the mistake that we made before, uh, that the Aryans are not, not, not necessarily white. Right. They spread all over Europe and North America, these Vedic Aryans. They had already a well-developed culture and civilization in India, and as a result of that, they took their culture, arts, and trade, and society was improved wherever they went. Where did they go? They settled in Scandinavia. They settled in Denmark. They settled in Ireland, Britain, France, Greece, Germany, Switzerland. You, it, it, and it'll blow your mind when I tell you all the proofs of this. You'll see. How did they get there? The routes that they took were first by either sea or over land. Mm -hmm. And this was all before 3500 BCE. There's a Dr. Hall, H-A-L-L, who has a book called Ancient History of the Near East, and he describes the routes they took, as well as author L.A. Waddell, W-A-D-D-E-L-L. -L. And why did they go? That's a very important question. If they were so happy in India, and there was such wonderful climate over there, and trees and fruits and uh, lots of food to eat, then why did they have to leave? And I will get to that in a second. If I forget, Lou, please remind me. Yes. They went up north via the, there were lots of rivers over there. There was a river called the Brahmaputra River, and they went through uh, Tibet into China. Um, there was in the Rig Veda, thousands of years ago, it was written that there were many different tribes. One was the China, C-I-N-A tribe, which was 5000 BCE. And it's mentioned in the Mahabharata. It's mentioned in the Ramayana, Puranas, and the laws of Manu. 
The River Indus, they followed to Kashmir and Afghanistan to Central Asia. They went to Gujarat, Sindh, and from there they went west to Pakistan and Afghanistan, Persia and the Middle East. These were all names that they placed over there, which I will tell you about. They were the Sumerian tribes and the Babylon, Babylonian tribes. Um, they also went to Turkestan, which then became Turkey. The British, when they went to these places, changed the names to more anglicize them. But before they were called Turkestan. They went to, across the sea to Burma, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Siam. And we'll see evidences of the Vedic culture over there uh, and all the ancient Vedic cultures. From China, and they crossed the Pacific Ocean and went to North America. Really? And there are also recent evidence that the Australian Aborigines have the same DNA. And anybody that wants proof of this, just write to me and I'll show you the most recent uh, article that shows that the Aborig Aborigines of Australia share a DNA with the Indians. Hmm. So 4,500 BCE um, was the target that N.S. Rajaram picked in the Vedic Aryans and the origins of civilization, in which he said that Vedic customs, language, names, and rituals existed in the, these are, I'll give you a Sanskrit name first and then the English name, that existed in the Prithus or Parthavas, from, coming from the Parthas, which we will talk about when we talk about Persia and Partha. The Parthas became the Parthians, according to the English, Parthians. The Druhus, Druhus in, in Vedic civilization, then became the Druids in yeah, Ireland and France and Britain. The Alinas became the Hellenes of the ancient Greeks. Yep. The Simus became the Albanians and the Chinas were the Chinese. So the Vedic society of 3800 BCE had the Indus, the Ganga, the Saraswati, Sutlej, Yamuna, all of these rivers and the Brahmaputra were spread out all over the plains between the Himalayas and the southern part of India. Alexander from Greece, commonly known as Alexander the Great, mm -hmm. Alexander from Greece, when he went into India, his biographer was writing down furiously. If you get a copy of this book, the biography, <clears throat> written by Alexander's uh, biographer, it's fascinating. He writes about all his wars, but the one thing that I was fascinated was what he felt and experienced when he went into India. He said, of all the lands that Alexander has taken his armies into, the biographer writes, this is the most amazing. He's, he describes the flora, the fauna, the fruits, and the people. He says the people are absolutely gorgeous. He says they're taller than most of us. And these were Greeks, don't yep. forget, right. Alexander and his army. He says they're taller, more robust, more muscular, and they have a glow about them that's a golden glow. He says, Alexander, the first battle he fought was against King Porus. Um, and Porus, he said, came at him seated on an elephant, where Alexander was seated on a horse. Yeah. And the biographer wrote that this Porus was so huge a man, he said, seated on an elephant, the elephant looked like he was a horse. <laughs> so wow. 
if you know these these people were living in a beautiful environment lots of plenty of food etc one of the common questions that people bring up all the time is to say well if these indians went into scandinavia how come the scandinavians are now six feet four inches tall big blonde blue-eyed etc right. and you will see that there are many documentaries that will show you how people change when they've spent millions of years thousands of years in a different environment different culture but it's not as if these indians going back to bce were the way indians look now right and that has changed so if you look at alexander's biographers uh, writings you will see that the indians at that time appeared the way i just described so anyway what happened to them what happened was that in 3101 bce we know this from planetary software we know this from history we know this from having written in the uh, scriptures of the indians there was a massive planetary change all the planets were in a straight line in 3101 bce and at that caused various changes within the earth and this had been predicted for many years that there would be a kali yuga uh, that would start in 3101 and when that happened there were tectonic plate shifts massive earthquakes and the saraswati river the main river on the banks of which all these civilizations existed the saraswati went underground and oh. the whole area became a desert hmm. and the drought the lack of water the change in the temperature caused and there was the end of the mahabharat war all these people went westward and eastward those that went east went towards Japan, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, Burma, and we can talk about the fact that the Vedic peoples moved there. But those that went west went first to places like Palestine and then Persia um, and then went south towards Greece and they went to Scandinavia. So this we'll talk about the next time. But this is how the Mahabharata war ended in 3101. The tectonic plates caused uh, Krishna left the earth the Kali Yuga began. After that came the first and second dynasties of Egypt because the people that went towards Egypt created the Egyptian civilization. Yeah. yeah. So far, um, and I will end with this. Um, any questions so far, Lou? No, this is just all fascinating. And again, this is a part of history that we in the West don't explore enough. So this is all fascinating. So in India, Lord Krishna... All of you have heard of him, right? You've seen the most people know of the term in the West because of the Hare Krishna movement. Mm -hmm. Krishna was, as we've seen in the Gita that we've talked about, Lou and I, many times for 216 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should watch that if you haven't. It's called uh, Arise Arjuna, the Gita, if you want to look it up. And in the Gita, Krishna, Lord Krishna, is represented. Lord Krishna was of the Yadu, Y-A-D-U, Yadu tribe, or the Yadava tribe. So this is just, I'll end with this, because the Jewish people come from the Yadu tribe, the Yadava tribe. Most people, including the Jews, don't know this. Interesting. But, yeah. So in Persia, Persia was formed by Lord Parshuram. Parshuram from India was a Kshatriya king that said, there are bad things happening all over the world. People have left the Vedic culture and they're no longer Vedic. 
They're no longer Aryan. They're doing bad things. I'm going to eradicate the world of these bad people. So he went and Parshuram was, then the country was called Persia. Anyway, those people were also called the Parthas. The, this was also Arjuna's name and who was son of King Prithu. But the Parthians also means descendants of King Prithu or Partha. Now you may have heard of the Parthas having to trade with the Jews at that time. Did you hear of this, Lou? No, this is new to me. Parthas used to trade with the Jews and the Jews were their partners. The Greeks called the Jews Judeos, but that was a transformation from Yadeos, Yadeos or Yadavas. Yep. The Yadavas, as I mentioned before, was the tribe of the uh, Essenes or uh, Krishna, meaning the people of Yah. Yah is what the Jewish people even now call God. That was what was, that's why Aryans, Yah is God. The people of Yah was called Yadavas or the followers of Yadu, who was the son of Yayati. Early Jews are thought to be of the same tribe as Krishna, the Yadu tribe. Now, there was a sage in India. There were many sages, but a couple of the most famous ones is sage Kashyap and sage Kapila. Kapila, Kapila Muni is one of the greatest sages of ancient India. He was thought to be an incarnation of Lord Krishna. He was from the Yadu tribe. The Jewish people have as their holy book, a book called the Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it, Lou? Yes, I have, yeah. The Kabbalah, and there's a book written by Arthur Edward Waite, W-A-I-T-E, called The Holy Kabbalah. The word Kabbalah is a mixture of the word Kapila. Kapila, the Muni, the sage. Kapila was the sage that the Jewish people followed. And he, the teachings of that. So the basis of the Kabbalah are the teachings of sage Kapila. This is very interesting. Anyway, how long have we been today? About 26 Luke? minutes. Beautiful. So just what we were looking for. We're trying to make these uh, 20 to 30 minutes, friends. So we will stop here. And uh, Lou, any comments, any questions, anything you want to say? No, it's a good intro to this and, and how I I love the way you tied it in coming out of Africa and India would be a logical place to migrate to there. And then the river travel coming out of each. I'm fascinated about 3101 and that area and there and everything in there. But I know what we're looking forward to next. We're looking forward to Scandinavian culture and the uh, influence that Indian culture had on Scandinavians or Vedic culture had on the Scandinavians. Yes, good. And if you have any questions, friend, email me at arisearjuna at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And uh, so make sure you subscribe to us there and understand when these new episodes come out. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.